This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. We've paused a fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them. Thunder Media. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Today on Inside Supercars, we hear from the media man who was part of promoting the Red Empire, Paul Wally Weissel. The amazing solar sales and marketing that uh, driven by John Crennan on our side of things with the merchandise, I mean, what people don't realise that probably by the year 2000, 2001, etc., we were probably uh, turning over something like 21, 22 million dollars a year in merchandising. He provides his thoughts on the 2023 launch of the Gen 3. From the motorsport media and the teams themselves, shtum, everyone's uh, you know united front about how wonderful this is, and and that. And it, and it can't be. I mean, we're three weeks away from the first race of the season. Two weeks ago, we were still testing uh, front steering ge- geometry components, um, uh, still trying to determine what they're going to be. I mean, how can we possibly race in three weeks from now in Newcastle when, when you know, it's going to be a bruise-free race, put it that way, because if you hit anything and damage anything, you won't be able to fix your car. There's no bits. Wally Weissel coming up on Inside Supercars, and it starts now. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel, and we're joined by a man who preceded me in the paddock, who has a long history in radio, and as a man who stood by Walkinshaws and HRT, Wally Weissel, welcome back to Supercars. Uh, very nice to talk to you, gentlemen. Of course, um, it is ever such a long, ta- long time ago. I was talking to Craig a minute ago off here and mentioned that the last time that I spoke to him would have been my last year in uh, in, in the uh, in the category in the VH, which was back in 2004. So, yes, uh, I'll put it this way. I'm so old, I'm currently recovering from a knee replacement. <laughs> you've worn out bits. Well, we know your voice is still working, and that's what we want from you today. We're not going to ask you to sprint to the gate or anything like that. <laughs> uh, dear, yes. Well, the voice may work. Whether the brain does, we'll find out. Now, Wally, you sort of spoke to me. I happen to be in New Zealand at the time, but you have some fairly strong views on Gen 3, and I'm sure that there are many tens of thousands of people around this country who, some of whom have had little invested, some have had a lot invested in, in V8 supercar racing in this country. As somebody who spent a long time around it and around at the pinnacle of it when uh, HRT, as it was then, Racing, they were at their peak. And tell us your thoughts on what Gen 3 is. Well, I'm not sure anyone knows. Um, it's interesting that the more I've got a, a rapable about this in the last few weeks and taken a bit more notice of it, um, is that if you look at um, 
what we used to call forums in the old days, Tony, Craig, um, but these days the comment sections on, on your social media um, and everyone puts a post up about, look, here's a headlight from a um, one of the new Mustangs or whatever, you know. The, the negative stuff on, on those things, the comments from the punters, is, is incredible. Like, you know, why is taste taking so long? This is a disaster, da, 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 da. And, and yet from the motorsport media and the teams themselves – Stum! Everyone's uh, you know united front about how wonderful this is, and and it and it and it can't be. I mean, we're three weeks away from the first race of the season. Two weeks ago, we we're still testing uh, front steering ge- geometry components, um, uh, still trying to determine what they're going to be. I mean, how can we possibly race in three weeks from now in Newcastle when when you know it's going to be a bruise-free race? Put it that way, because if you hit anything and damage anything, you won't be able to fix your car. There's no bits. And you're right. I, I actually ran into somebody. Um, I won't name him because he would like his anonymity. And it was interesting because he said to me, and he was heavily involved, he said to me that Gen 3 was supposed to achieve and needed to achieve three things. The first one was obviously reducing the bill price. That's a fail. The second one was to attract three new manufacturers. Well, that's a fail. Um, and, and the third one was to be more competitive across the whole field. Well, we won't know that until we get more than two or three cars on the track at any one time. Um, so, I, mean, I mean, you can get an indication of how of how knees up the whole thing's been when, you know, you're supposed to have all these regulations. You can do um, 60 kilometres in, in, in a shakedown test um, <laughs> and then you can have three, three days of testing prior to the uh, – uh, to the to the category test day uh, in a couple of weeks, three weeks from now, um, they're just saying, "Oh, no, look, do what you like," because we don't know. I mean, it's, there's no carryover in these cars from from the previous Gen Two into these Gen Three. There's no there's no carryover. Wheels aren't the same, brakes aren't the same. No componentry is the same. About the only thing you can possibly carry over from Gen Two to the new Gen Three category are zippy tires. Apart from that, you're on your own. Interesting, there was a story posted recently by a man that I never thought I'd see writing for Speedcalf was Mark Fogarty wrote about how a wheel fell off one of the Grove cars at a Winton test day recently. Um, because they've gone to a new smaller wheel nut, you know, we don't know the reason why this has happened, but it seems rather catastrophic. It's happened twice. I think there's another one, but everyone's, you know, again, tried to keep the lid on it. Um, the, The other thing that I found fascinating is how this day will have um, that car revealed, and then tomorrow we'll have another car revealed, often within the same teams. I'm I'm wondering, and this is the cynical part of me, is is if we, we unveil the car this day and then we unwrap it and put the other sponsors' wrap on it and then change the number, and then the next day there's the launch of that car. Oh, Wally, how could you? <laughs> you would suggest I'm cynical. I've actually heard, I've got no verification of it, that the prototype was wrapped for the Erebus Coca-Cola launch on the Gold Coast, flown up, man put on job to wrap the gun, and, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, extraordinary times. May I say, may I say, that Coca-Cola car looks sensational. I mean, it, it and the Camaro outline... Just it's the pick of the pick of the uh, liveries tomorrow. Um, tomorrow, mild eye at this stage. I'm looking at the thing. It just suits the car, and the car suits the the uh, the, the sponsor. It looks magnificent. But, I mean, the same thing. We had um, we had a Red Bull car 
with the Red Bull F1 car at the 12-hour at Bathurst the other week, but they didn't have a Red Bull car finish. So I'm assuming it was, the again, the prototype or the test mule, whatever you want to call it, that was dressed up in all its wedding clothes uh, for, simply because of that. It, it's extraordinary times, Craig. A comment that you made to me the other day, which I thought were very appropriate. Albert Einstein... I'm lifting the brow of this program, aren't I? Albert Einstein (laughs) once said that to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result is a sign of madness. Mm. Now, let's think about Gen 2. Think about the protagonists, the people who are involved in getting it all done. And 10 years later, I think you'll find 90% of those names are all the ones signing off everything that's going on. Well, the question that's got to be asked is, where's the money coming from? I mean, it's, it's horrendously expensive doing, doing what they're doing when you're building brand new from the ground up. And let's not forget you've had at least five years to do this. This was supposed to have um, happened in 2021, back into 22, midway through 22, and now here we are, 23 and we're still struggling. Now, I'll take you guys back to, I was thinking about it before, to 1995 when the loud, brash, abrasive gentleman from the Gold Coast called Tony Cochran uh, got in the car park at Sandown and announced about the V8 supercars. Um, and everyone thought, you know, who's this bloke coming and telling us how to suck eggs? But his point was that it had to be relevant. So, therefore, we had to get back to having... Holden and Commodore, because they reflected the marketplace at that time. Obviously, they don't now, but but that was the whole thing. But but market relevance is the key part, uh, or it's still a vitally important part of motor racing. Now, I question at the moment the relevance of uh, the, the the new Gen Three category when in the Ford Mustang. I mean, let's, the cars look great. Ignore that for the minute. They're just sort of their market relevance. The cars look great. Uh, but, you know, Mustang sells between one to 2,000 cars a year, I think, at the moment, if you can get your hands on one. They don't make a Camaro, really, for Australia. You've got to pay for someone to convert it to right-hand drive here and pay exorbitant amounts of money to do it. And, and from what we can gather, the General Motors Camaro, this is its last model run. It will not be renewed in, in the coming years. Now, why are we going down this track to do what we did with Holden and Falcon to have a car, specifically one, possibly two, that will have no market relevance inside the next two to three years? Can someone answer that question for me? No, I can't answer it. Oh, God. I mean, it's just, it's just, and the other thing, when, the, when you're doing in motorsport at the moment, you've got to really take a big, long, hard look at what you're doing. Not two years or five years down the track, even further. Because, guys, in 10 years from now, every state in this country is pushing the hell out of having the, all they want is electrics, 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 electrics. So the old internal combustion engine is is just about a fail or will be a very niche market thing. So, therefore, I can't see any planning for the future. Um, we've got these things in our now. Let's go racing with them. But yeah, you, know, you need you need to be planning now for what are we going to be? What supercar is going to be in eight to ten years from now? Certainly by twenty thirty, we've got to have an alternative to what we are now. Um, you go back to market relevance, um, and you had up at Bathurst, um, not uh, or the weekend before last. You had a really really good. 12-hour event for GT3 cars, and you had manufacturer presence from Mercedes, BMW, Audi, Porsche at that top level. Now, in America, General Motors are putting out the Corvette, not the Camaro, the Corvette 
from 2024 will be uh, there'll be a GT3 version of it, and there'll be a GT3 version of the Mustang. Um, now, if you added the four that I've already mentioned plus those two, that would give you six six manufacturers manufacturers that are involved heavily in motorsport. Now, the GT3 category and all that sort of stuff does it on not so much factory involvement because they're very expensive cars. Um, it's it's rich man's play toys, I know that, but it gives you good motor racing. It gives you cars that come out of a container and will and will lap bathers faster than um, these these current things I think can do. Um, and and I think we need to be looking at that because I still think they're going to be most of those cars are still going to be built in eight to ten years from now, whereas the ones we're going to be racing won't be. Uh, so again, where's the planning for the future and the market relevance with what we're doing? Rolly, why do you say we need market relevance? I am of the opinion that supercars just need to make a body, put it on a put it on a chassis, get an get an engine or two, and go out racing. When why is market relevance important in twenty twenty three? It's still a reflection, and particularly when I think possibly more so. I think we need to be a bit more market relevant. Uh, this is a guy that here that is not a fan of the thought of um, uh, e-cars, electrical cars, um, and where that's going to lead us in a big country like that down the track. However, I'm realistic enough to know that when the winds are blowing that way from lots of areas, mainly Spring Street, Canberra, and any other uh, parliamentary uh, person that will sit up, that that we're going to have it whether we like it or not. Um, Now, any uh, major car company that's doing uh, hybrids and um, you know, seeing Formula One using the combination of different uh, power technologies to do it. Those now things, I think, as Formula One has always been, have market relevance because uh, you see them coming through in the cars that we get on our roads. And I think relevance that we seem to have here. I mean, if if you want to do what what you're saying you're doing, which is having you know big loud V8 in these cars, why don't you call it sports sedans? Because that's just about what it is. One of the great problems I see is that a good number of very clever people, very talented, very experienced people, uh, were let loose and they didn't appear to have been given budgets because, you know, I mean, the cars appear to be costing twice as much as project cars were, um, you know, over the 700 mark. And, you know, the fact that every component was replaced, it's hard to understand as to how you could decide in a time when budgets are so so pressed that that's the direction you'd go in let the engineering blokes go go to town on it it just doesn't make any sense um no it, it doesn't um I, I can see particularly with the engine thing i i mean those things were um developed to their max and they're horribly expensive to run and um and you have to have top end rebuilds after 1500k and full rebuilds after 3000 and all that sort of stuff uh, and these ones will probably be um, will certainly hopefully be more, more cost-effective. If that being the case, why couldn't you move to the new platform, let's say, with the old engines and drive lines and drivetrains, et cetera, and then in, in, a, in a two-year upgrade down the track, bring in your, um, your Coyote engines, et cetera, and, and your new engines um, uh, in the hope of, of bringing that part of the cost down. But it seems to me that, that if you've got a shell out for these engines and drive lines, uh, transaxles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, boy, oh, boy, you, I, I just don't know where the budgets are coming from. I mean, you know, you're talking, 
it's got to be $3 million a car, surely, to run a car this year, per car, at least. How many do you follow it? I mean, did you watch Bathurst and the Gold Coast races? Uh, I watched Bathurst, absolutely I did. Um, you know, that's, there's, a, there's a tribal right in my household, mate. No one disturbs me, no one talks to me, no one asks me to do anything. If I'm not at Bathurst, I'm in front of the television uh, and calling uh, all the shots of what's, uh, who should have pitted by now and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I loved it. Gold Coast, mate, leaves me cold. Always has, always will. Um, I think super place to have a motor race. Um, but it's a, corporately, it's a, it's a good thing. But, you know, Bathurst I love and having Sandown back again this year uh, as a 500k race, I, I think it's a great idea. Gives you a natural lead in. Um, but uh, but I, I love Bathurst. Um, I don't like the way basically all those people that you pan around and you see on the hill and that roar at the start and certainly at the end of it and when this pack of the rafters up there, I, I don't like how they've been left behind. Uh, and that's how it is to me that that, that when um, Ford uh, has uh, uh, stayed in Australia and kept its relevance with Australia um, uh, all the way through this, uh, General Motors just said, "See you, bye. We're out of here." See, you. and and then and now sort of expect everyone to go, "Yeah, oh look, yeah, here we are, hey, General Motors, isn't it wonderful?" And then you had a, you had a brand that had been around for seventy years or something like that, and you threw it away, and then you know without even working on a transitioning effect. Uh, so, so basically, you wave goodbye to all those people on the mountain. So what, what do you, what's next? What are you going to do next when there's, when there's not uh, – if, the, if they don't recognise and identify with, with um, the General Motors product, um, and it's probably the bigger downer I've got on is all this is the way General Motors have handled this whole part for the last five years thing. Um, but if they, they haven't done anything about bringing the people through – um, and so people will go, yeah, so what? Um, you know, and what's one of the reasons I think that my um, old Walkman shows went to Ford because I said, well, um, you know, we've, there's there's no great relevance with you guys and I, and I haven't got any guarantees that I'm going to get no out of you. So at least they're getting money out of Ford. Paul, I'm interested in your thoughts then. What should these cars be if not a Mustang and a Camaro? Yeah, difficult. Um to me, as I mentioned before, um, I would have been looking seriously at the uh, at the GT3 category, but the the problem is if we did that, you know, um, then what what are you going to do uh, different between the 12-hour race and the basic six-hour race, the thousand-kilometer race in in October? Um, you know, so that becomes then a marketing exercise, not not market relevance, but a marketing exercise. How do you how do you delineate the two? Um, <coughs> and because they're turnkey, you've got a whole industry in um in, in the supercar teams around the country that you know build create repair do all this sort of stuff uh these cars whereas these other ones are, are almost virtually turnkey you almost sort of send them back plug in a new one sort of thing um and so that a lot of a lot of people wouldn't have the job so it probably didn't leave much but to me and again because of the relevance factor um i i, I think and and the ability to have more brands in there. I, I think the GT3 should have been looked at and considered going down the track or should be look, getting looked at very seriously now for whatever comes next because whatever comes next is the critical part. I and mean, if we're going to have electric cars running around at Bathurst um, in, in a 1,000K race in October uh, in five to six years from now, um, imagine imagine the atmosphere there. Oh, look, there goes an EVC care. That's exciting, isn't it? Maybe have an app on your phone that you know you'll you'll say um, uh, 
pull up your relevant um, uh, car audio that you'd like to hear. Oh, it's a PV6, but I'd like to have it, thank you, as a matcher of V12. Oh, thank you very much. That's good. I'll have my earphones in. It's not the way I envisage motor racing going. We can't let you go, Wally. You mentioned about some of the things you had thought might be going on with liveries and things getting moved around. You would have launched a number of cars in your time. Have you got any stories that the people are uh, either long enough gone or won't care if you reveal them to us now? No, I think all our liveries, they they actually got bigger each year because initially it was... um, this annoying PR bloke that, you know, we're, we're trying to build cars and go racing here and you want to take bloody photos of them, yeah. And so initially it would be, all right, a car would get done naturally with an 05 on it and I'd get Graham Neander down from Coventry Studios and we'd push the thing outside the, the warehouse, take a couple of photos of it and that was it. Um, and um, and then the sort of uh, Crono would go, John Crono would go, oh, uh, well, what can we uh, do? Let's have a, mm, can we uh, uh, a bit more impact? So then I said, right, boys. And so this is a couple of years later we – had a, a, a tent alongside, um, a bloody great tent alongside the the factory at um, down in the, uh, down in Clayton, and um, and we had the car out of sight on the other side of the building, and I said, boys, I needed to start up, drive it around the building, drive in and pull up in front of all these big wigs, media, GMs, mobiles, Bridgestones, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and um, and they said, you want the car started? And I went, yeah, I want the car started. We want noise. We want. Oh, I can't do that. Uh, I've got to do it. Come on. Um, so anyway, they agreed to do it. So we dutifully cranked the thing up and came firing around the corner with Brock driving it, pulled up in the tent and got out and everyone was very happy. And then Crono said, oh, that was really good. So the following year, it was it was full noise down at HSV. It was curtain blacks. It was full reveals with spotlights and red carpets and whole box and dice. And uh, uh, so, yeah, they, they, just, they just sort of just got bigger after that. And what is one of your your great rock and roll swindles, if it was like. You had to sell something that might have not been the uh, the, 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 the <laughs> hole. <laughs> oh, yo, 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 yo. Um, gee, you're putting on the spot there. Could have need, needed a bit of warning about that one. Um, Too many I, to choose yeah. from. There's probably a, a, a few in there, uh, most of them to do with people being naughty after hours um, and having to get people and things sort of shushed up and quietened down and, and put away and uh, on all those sort of things. But I will I actually I'll tell you one. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this one before to anyone, but there's um, there's, a, there's a track I don't like in Queensland that unfortunately still exists. Um, and... Uh, as you know, the garages in that place that they don't like um, in Queensland, they when they made them, I don't think it's changed, uh, they only had walls up halfway. And um, so at that stage, the, um, the the red team out of Clayton was going quite well. Um, I found out a year or so later from another person that, um, and we, we were fairly naive, thinking, oh, that's okay, um, that during the middle of the night after we'd packed up and gone back to bed or had it gone off for a few beers or something, they'd all fired over the, the garage wall because it was only, as I said, a half wall and spent an hour or two poking, prodding, looking, taking photos, doing all that sort of stuff. So that was a, that was a bit of a naughty thing to do, wasn't it? Oh, well, the good old days, isn't it? Um, I, I've got a Wally story, though, because mm. we were um, getting ready to do Inside Motorsport one Sunday afternoon as we uh, as we used to, and I've gone, Paul, really like to speak to Peter Brock, and you looked at the football score and saw how badly, this was leading into 
This was leading into Sandown. You look at the football <laughs> score. Collingwood were getting absolutely smashed in, uh, I think it was a qualifying final, but it was in the first cup, or oh, must have been the first week of the finals. Mm. And you called me back. I think I must have sent you a text, and you called me back about two minutes later and go, Brocky is ropeable. He needs to get away from the TV. Have as long as you like. <laughs> Sounds like you. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. It would would distract him um, until he had to get back in the car or do something else or what have you. So keep him him tucked away in a corner inside the truck for a while and take him away from the pain of Collingwood copying another flogging. Oh, dearie me. Times are different then, weren't they? (laughs) They were indeed, Tony. And um, you know, we used to sort of just blaze around the countryside, having a wonderful, wonderful time. Everyone, everyone, all in together, and um, trying, trying not to throw helmets and various other things at each other in the other other garages. But in in the main, it was uh, uh, I had a a wonderful eleven years with it, and the category grew enormously in my time there from '94 through to 2004 when I left. It was just incredible and that's why I mentioned before about about Tony Cochran he got it he got it right on the nail hit the nail right on the head at that stage and what the people wanted and um, got it very right and um, and the the category surged ahead like it hadn't done for probably 20 or 30 years. The category hasn't since his departure and and I'm sure you'd be aware that he and I didn't see eye to eye. I never had uh, a lack of respect for his ability to actually promote the thing and his ability to go out and get governments in, invested and involved. Mm. And uh, there was no shadow of a doubt. There was a time when that thing which we call V8s, which they then put the moniker of supercars on, um, was the third most watched sport in this country. And mm. that both the people who were watching at home, the people who were watching on the internet internationally, and the people who went to the trouble of going to the track were respected and looked after well. And I think that that's all sort of dropped off the horizon a little bit. I think that, that attention's not being paid too much. I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary thing to think that people aren't being you know looked after in the way they should be. Yeah, that does astound me, and 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 you're right. Um, the people were important. We certainly for a team that was as popular as ours to that balance between um, between getting the job done and trying to serve your public was very, very difficult and it was a very fine line to tread at times. But um, when you had that support and you had um, the amazing uh, you know, marketing and and uh, sales and marketing that uh, driven by John Crennan on our side of things with the merchandise. I mean, it, what people don't realise that probably by the year 2000, 2001, etc., we were probably t- uh, turning over something like 21, 22 million dollars a year in merchandising, uh, and and AFL clubs didn't even uh, get anywhere near that. I mean, they do now because they learnt from what Crennan had done, but that's that's how big it was, and the, the key to that to us was was you had a new range come out every year. By July, we were sitting there going, yes, no, no, we'll do that. No, take more less stripes on that, more checks on that. Yeah, right, that's that signed off. That was a T-shirt. That's a polo shirt. Yeah, right, let's go from that. And that'll be planning for next year because come January, February, bang, you'd come out with a whole new range of stuff. It was, it was really big. It was quite massive. And as I said, when you, you went to Darwin and, um, you know, you went to the Gold Coast, um, you know, all, that, all those things and, and, and the Adelaide, to, to me, Best race of the year for me, personally, was always Bathurst, you know, because of what it is in its history. Best event of the year, best event of the year, Adelaide 
by a country mile. Nothing got anywhere near it. It was just wonderful. Indeed. And, of course, this year Bathurst was uh, celebrating its 60th running, which is an extraordinary thought that uh, it's been going that long. I mean, you and I have not been watching it since uh, for 60 years, but I suppose the best part of 50-something or other. Well, I've been watching it since it's been on telly, mate, back in the early 60s. So, yeah, um, I've probably seen most of them in some way, shape or form. Um, I think my first one there was <coughs> pardon me, was uh, uh, 68 or 69, I think, um, when I was working at Preston Motors in Aubrey after I'd left school and we fired up there on a Saturday afternoon for the race on Sunday and towed a caravan all the way and don't remember anything of the race because we drank far too many VBs, but uh, that was my first visit there. Uh, but it was um, it, it had captured your attention very well by um, certainly when, when Holden came out with, with the HK R with a 327, that changed the whole um, idea about Bathurst when it became GT Falcon versus uh, GTS Holden. Um, that was when the whole thing changed and went up a couple of notches. So, uh, yeah, and then and I've either been out or certainly seen all of them since then. Indeed, Wally. Um, thank you very much for joining us on Inside Supercast. I'm sure that you'll be watching to see how this transpires. I mean, there's obviously a test day coming up uh, at Sydney Motorsport Park, the entire field, and then uh, the transition... Uh, <laughs> into a new list of where the old cars will step back into the Super 2 and the new ones will be uh, hopefully on track and without too many problems. But I think that's something that's a, a lot to go through before we get to that one. More question marks than anything. And as I said, I think it'll be pretty bruise-free because you can't afford to bend any of them because you might not have the bits to put them back together again. Yeah, you're very right there. Well, thank you very much for joining us on Inside Supercars. Wally Weissel, XHRT man. All the very best and we'll be in touch in the very near future. Thank you, guys. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more. Or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. We paused the fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.